This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Richard Diamond, Private Detective, is an American detective drama created by Blake Edwards. It aired on radio from 1949 to 1953. Dick Powell starred in the radio series as a wisecracking former police officer turned private detective. Episodes typically opened with a client visiting or calling cash-strapped Diamond's office and agreeing to his fee of $100 a day, plus expenses, of course. Or Diamond taking on a case of the behest of his friend and former partner, Lieutenant Walter Levinson. Uh, Diamond often suffered a blow to the head while in his sleuthing pursuits. Most episodes end with Diamond at the piano singing a standard popular song or show tune from Powell's repertoire to his girlfriend Helen Asher in her penthouse at 975 Park Avenue. Many of the shows were either written or directed by Edwards. Its theme, Leave It to Love, was whistled by Powell at the beginning of each episode. Now, in tonight's episode, a lady hires Dick to follow her husband, and he does, right to a corpse. Dick Powell sings Sleepy Time Gal after solving the case, but there's a whole bunch of stuff in between. Let's give a listen now to the Martin Hire case. Dick Powell as Richard Diamond, private detective. Hello there, this is Diamond. About the most strenuous effort I might give out during a working year is maybe chasing some thug up the escalator at Bloomingdale's department store. But last week I really outdid myself. The all-stars of the police force challenged the private detectives to a baseball game for the benefit of the vice squad. And I wound up stiffer than a pair of starched overalls. Because the private detectives are quick to take advantage of the slightest opportunity, by the eighth inning, we realized the need for some immediate strategy. The score at that point was six to four, the cops leading. So I got a hold of a little blonde I knew and had her walk across the infield in a sweater. The idea was to disturb the opposing team and take their minds off the game. It would have worked, but it seemed that since I had last seen my little blonde friend, she'd become quite a favorite with the police force, so they just waved hello and went about their business. My drooling colleagues, however, had not come in contact with said hunk of fluff, and before the game was over, three of them had picked up the bat boy and tried to bunt with him. You may have read where the police force finally beat us, Close game, 37 to 4. 
But I want to say right here and now, they never could have done it without that sweater. And oh, yeah, I got mixed up in a little honest murder the next day. It all started in the back booth of a middle-class nightclub. A couple of people were busy trying to think up the fastest way to make a homicide billiard. So uh, that's the three-cushion variety. Killing to frame up to the electric chair. Leon, are you sure this will work? You want to get rid of that old man of yours, don't you? You know I do. Well, I got a wife that I want to dump, too. This letter from her is going to fix it so we both end up very unmarried. Are you sure they'll blame it on Martin? Sure, I'm sure. When they find him with this letter and his own gun and the dead body of my dear little wife, they'll slap him in the chair so fast he won't know what happened. Who's going to find him with the body? That's your job, baby. I'll get the letter to your husband and you swipe his gun and get it to me. And you go get yourself a private detective and tell the shamus that you suspect your husband of running around with another girl. You and the shamus tail your husband. I'll have it timed so you catch him with the goods right after the killing. Well, all right. I hope it works. It will if you want it to, baby. I want it to. Because I want you. Yeah. Yeah, and all that nice money your husband's going to leave you. Leon. Come in, you. Yeah. Come in. Mr. Diamond? That's right. I want to hire a private detective. Well, good for you. Sit down. Thank you. What is your fee? Hmm? What's the matter? Well, stand up and sit down again. They're 52 gauge, Mr. Diamond. Like them? Oh, you'd look good if they were sweat socks. I don't think they'd go with a high heel. Uh, you've got a point. Now, uh, <clears throat> what were you saying? I wanted to know what your fee is. Oh, a hundred a day in expenses. Uh, isn't that a little high? I stopped eating at the automat six years ago. All right, I'll give you a retainer. Oh, uh, wait a minute now, wait a minute. What's the job? I think my husband is running around with another woman. Oh, what do you want me to do, hustle him off to the nut house? Oh, aren't you nice? I want you to go with me as a witness. You know, uh, any other time I might get shy, but I'm really interested in seeing a girl who could beat your time. When do I start? Meet me in front of my house at 10 minutes to 8. My husband leaves around 8. What's the address? 521 East 58th Street. My name is Hires, Mr. Diamond. Uh, June Hires. All right, June. I'll see you at 10 to 8. Now, uh, excuse me, but about that retainer. Oh, yes, that. Um, here's $100. Is that enough? Uh, it'll keep me interested. What's your husband's name? Martin. I'll see you this evening, Mr. Diamond. Oh, uh, one more question. Yes? Why haven't you and your husband been getting along? Uh-huh. A lot of reasons. By the way, Mr. Diamond, how old are you? Hmm? No. Oh, well, I'm frisky, but I passed the foolish mark when I was three and a half. Did you? Goodbye, Mr. Diamond. I wonder if I did. Diamond Detective Agency, with men who know the corpses best, it's Diamond two to one. Rick. Oh, oh, Helen. Hello, baby. What are you doing? Uh, what gauge nylons do you wear, dear? 52. Why? Oh, nothing. Oh, Rick, are you going to buy me a present? Oh, you never can tell. I was just looking at a pair a few minutes ago. Rick. Yeah? Where were you looking at them? Uh, what kind of a question is that? A very good question. Have you got a girl up in that office? Helen. Don't you, Helen, me, have you? Well, I give you my word I haven't. All right, was there a girl in your office? The, the... Was there? 
Well, a client. I got a hundred-dollar retainer. I don't I... care if she gave you the George Washington Bridge. You were obviously looking at her leg. Well, I couldn't help it. She sat on that way. Now, look, honey, she's just another client. Mm-hmm, with 52-gauge nylons. But you do count the threats? Oh, can you do that? Oh, you wolf. Yeah, but you're the only one who gets the benefit of my talents. You can put the soft soap away. Uh, I got some business at eight. I'll, I'll be over later. Well, gonna stay mad until you get here. And you're going to tell me all about those nylons. I'll be sure and do some research. Bye. Well, there you are. You sit around and wait for a meal ticket to come in, and just because it happens to be fitted with curves, your best girl digs up the green-eyed monster. I don't know why gals get sore at a guy just because they catch him panting a little. (laughs) After all, it's hot in New York. I spent the rest of the afternoon trying to hit a big horse fly with a rubber band and some paper clips. And by six o'clock, we shook hands and called it a draw. I closed the office and went home. I got into some clean clothes and grabbed a bite to eat at the corner drugstore. At ten minutes to eight, I was sitting in June Hire's car, parked across the street from her front door. Mr. Zyman, how did you ever get to be a private detective? Uh, Mrs. Hyam, how did you ever get to be a housewife? You think things up in a hurry, don't you? Only when I got competition. You like competition? Yeah, up to a point. After that, I get tired of the struggle. I feel like I was back in college, sitting in a parked car with a good-looking man. Your education must have been pretty tame. I haven't moved once. Well, I really started to study after I graduated. Oh, I bet you got straight A's. Must you top everything? I play around with a lot of trouble, Mrs. High, and I've got to stay one step ahead of it. Do I look like trouble? When's your husband coming out of that house? Any minute now. You didn't answer my question. I'll tell you as soon as I see your husband. Well, how will that tell you? If he's wearing a beanie with a propeller on it, I'll know you've been giving him a lot of trouble. So I've been giving him trouble. Does that mean I'll do the same for somebody else? What's the difference, a husband or a private detective? They both got their names from a guy named Adam. Oh, look. The cab pulled up to the front door. Yeah, I see it. And here comes Martin. Mm, He's getting into the cab. Well, what do you know? What's the matter? No beanie. We both sat and watched while Martin Hire got into the cab and it pulled away. Mrs. Hire put her car in gear and we started the tale, giving it a safe distance. He led us across town to a middle-class apartment house and we stopped the car and waited up the street. He's getting out and going into that building. Come on. What for? Shouldn't we let him get up there first and and then... Look, look, baby. Do you know who this gal is? No, no, of course not. Then come on. I want to see what door he goes in. But won't he see us? Honey, I don't tell you how to put your lipstick on. I don't tell me how to make like a bloodhound. The the lobby is empty. Now, watch the elevator. Oh. It's stopping on the fourth floor. Hadn't we better go up? Look, uh, look, lover. The fourth floor probably comes equipped with a lot of doors. Now, if you want to just knock on any of them, go hire yourself Humphrey Bogart. Well, then what do we do? You stand by and watch like you make like you knew what I was doing. See, the little old elevator's coming back down. Now, you just hold it there while I look at the mailboxes. Hmm. Mrs. Lee Callahan. Mrs. Lillian McEdward. Mrs. Mike. Well. And Miss Sally Maxwell. Okay, now we push the button for the fourth floor, and away we go. Fun? Um, h- how do you know where to go? 
I got the name off the mailbox. But you said yourself there must be a lot of people on the fourth floor. Elementary, my dear girl. Process of elimination. We're lucky this time. Only one single girl on the fourth floor. Sally Maxwell. Come on. It's 406. What if there'd been more than one single girl? So I make some new friends. Now stop asking questions and stick close. Mm, I'd love it. Now, here it is, 406. Now hold it down. Can you hear anything? No. Yeah, somebody's moving around. Huh? Oh, duck. What? Too late. What? June. Uh, good evening. I represent the Great Nothing Life Insurance Company. What are you doing here, June? I might ask you the same thing. Do you mind if we come in? I'd like to interest you in our indemnity clause. Stop pushing. Get out of my way. Oh, you don't know what you're missing. You get $3 million if a python bites you in the middle of Times Square. You can't force your way in here like that. You... Oh, now you've hurt my feelings. Then take your hands off me or I'll strike you again. Sure, but you need two more to put you out. Here, have one on me. <laughs> Now, the next time you go striking people... Mr. Diamond, look. I looked past the little guy and spotted the body. She was blonde, and I didn't know why she was hanging onto the rug that way. She wasn't going anywhere. All right, you. Get out of my way. Huh? Oh, what a lovely gun. Martin, you killed that girl. No, I did not. I came in here and found her like that, but I didn't kill her. She's been shot. I know that. I found the gun by her body. You don't think I'd kill her? I was in love with her. Martin. Is that the gun that did it? Yes. I mean, no. I, oh, I don't know what I mean. But you stand right there. Don't take another step. That's your gun, Martin. You shut up. I didn't kill Sally, but I know I haven't got a chance of proving it, so if you come any closer, I will most certainly shoot you. I hate to look like an idiot, but it's against the law to shoot people. Mr. Diamond, be careful. Come on, Martin. Give me the gun. You don't think I'll shoot, do you? Come on, give it to me. Just one more step. Look out, he's going to shoot. Come on, open up in there. What? Better drop it, Martin. You got company. Stay back. Stay back. This is the police. Open up or we'll break the door in. Police. Give me the gun, Martin. No, no. Let, it, let him in, June. Before Levinson tears down the whole wall. I've got Martin. Yes, all right. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. What's going on in here? Hello, Walt. Hey, Lieutenant, look. It's the gumshoe. Rick, why do you guys always have to break down doors? Why don't you try turning the knob first? Otis, didn't you see if it was unlocked? Uh, I forgot, Lieutenant. You mallet head. We got a report that someone heard a shot from this apartment. There's the body, Walt. Who's this guy? Uh, Martin Heyer. Here's his gun. He was going to use it on me. I didn't kill her. I came in and found her that way. Oh, shut up. Who's the girl with you, Diamond? Uh, this is Mrs. Heyer. Martin is her husband. Don't say the old triangle, huh, Rick? I engaged Mr. Diamond to follow my husband. That's right, Walt. We caught Martin trying to sneak out on the corpse. I told you I didn't kill her. And I told you to shut up. Is this your gun? Yes, but I found it lying by the body. I knew I'd be blamed if someone found my gun, so I put it in my pocket. Search him, Rick. Haven't had time. Shake him down, Otis. Yeah, Lieutenant. I want my lawyer, and you get away from me. You open your trap just once more. Okay, butthole. Please, Mr. Diamond, I'd like to get out of here. Sure. Okay, Walt? Yeah, but I want to talk to both of you down at the station later. Uh, Here's something, Lieutenant. What is it? Letter. Are you coming, Mr. Diamond? Uh, You go on down. I'll be right with you. Walt, what does the letter say? It says, I can't continue this way. I've decided to break it off once and for all. It will do no good to see me, so please stay away and leave me alone. Sign Sally. Let me see that. Yeah. Well, what about it, you? Is the dead girl named Sally? Yes. I don't know why she sent it. We were both in love. Sure, sure. What are you going to do about your wife? I was going to tell her this evening. 
Then I received this note. I came right over to see Sally, but believe me, I didn't kill her. Tell me something, Martin. Is this the way you received the letter? Yes. Why? Now, you wait a minute, Rick. I'm very happy with what I've got, so don't start making like Sherlock Holmes. Oh, well, I, I guess you're right, Walt. He admits it's his gun, and this letter is certainly motive enough. Yeah. Otis, call for the wagon and put the cuffs on hire. Right, Lieutenant. Well, why would someone send a letter after tearing off the top of it? Huh? See, the top of this letter is missing. The part that usually reads Dear Julius or something. So what? Do me a favor, will you, Walt? Oh, what is it? Give me three minutes and then have Otis fire a shot from this apartment. What? Is that all you can say? Have Otis fire a shot in about three minutes after I leave. I will not. Police department can't go around making like it was the 4th of July. You want to solve a murder, don't you? I have solved it. What more do I need? I got a suspect, the murder weapon, and a good motive. Uh, Walt, if you'd just killed someone and a guy caught you at it, what would you do? I'd knock him off, too. Well, I caught hire in the act and he didn't pull the trigger. Well, you said yourself he was going to. But he didn't, and he took too much time thinking about it. Walt, I can't remember hearing a shot when I came in this building. So you didn't hear a shot. Maybe you couldn't. Well, that's what I want to find out. I was right behind Martin all the way up to this apartment, and I didn't hear a shot. Maybe he didn't kill her. That's right, I didn't. Please, I didn't kill her. You see, Walt? Oh, you always start something like this. Martin, did your girlfriend Sally have any enemies? No. At least she never told me about any. Now, where are you, brain trust? Just a little more sure of myself. First, Martin can't make up his mind about shooting me. Then he claims that the murdered girl didn't have any enemies. Does that sound like a killer trying to cover up? You've run into smart killers before. I'm surprised at you, Rick. I called the station, Lieutenant. I'm proud of you. Go on in the other room and shoot that cannon of yours off when I tell you. Do what, Lieutenant? You heard me. Shoot it into a mattress, but don't muffle a shot. Uh, okay. But not till I tell you. You might think it's fun and blow up the whole building. Thanks, Walt. What are you doing? Oh, uh, just looking around this desk to see if I can find the top piece of this letter. Oh, uh, Martin, are you sure that your girlfriend didn't know anyone who might want to kill her? She never said she was in danger. But you might ask her husband. Her husband? Oh, swell. Why didn't you say something about her husband before this? You didn't ask. Oh. Who is her husband? His name's Leon Fisk. The gambler? Yes. Oh. Bye, Walt. Now, you wait a minute. Have orders start making like a Roman candle three minutes after I leave. What's that you've got in your hand? Huh? Well, it's a piece of stationery from the desk that matches the stationery this letter was written on. You can't take that letter. It's evidence. What is? That letter the murdered girl wrote to this guy. Well, how do you know she wrote it? Because this guy said so. Yes, but I'm not sure. It could be forged. See, what? Maybe she didn't write it. Well, that's why I want it. The lab will be able to tell from other samples of her handwriting. Tell what, Walt? Who wrote that letter? Well, don't you know? Of course I don't know, but we found it on this guy and it's police evidence. Why? Why? Because it just is, that's all. Well, anybody could have written it. You could have written it, Martin. Yes, I guess I could. And send it to yourself? Why would I send it to myself, Lieutenant? You wouldn't. That's why it's important. You mean the letter itself or the fact that he couldn't have sent it to himself? Both reasons. Well, if he couldn't have sent it to himself, that eliminates him as a suspect. It does? He didn't do it. Did you, Martin? No. See, Walt? Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Why do I always get into something like this? You asked me if I sent the letter to myself. You shut up. And you said he couldn't have. That's right, he couldn't. Then someone else did. Of course they did. Okay, then as long as you're not so sure it's important, I'm going to take it with me. Who says it's not important? Well, if he didn't send it to himself, then someone else did. And if someone else did, the murdered girl couldn't have, so anyone could have sent it. Isn't that right? Say that again. He said if I didn't send the letter to myself, then I couldn't have gotten it. In no, consequence... no, no. He said you couldn't have sent the letter to... No, no, wait a minute. 
You couldn't have written it to... To, to myself. Yeah. So someone else wrote it and sent it to the murdered girl and... No, 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 no. Send it to me. You're crazy. I distinctly heard him say... Walt. Yeah? After you figure it out, be sure and have Otis fire that shot. I'm going to see Leon Fisk. Okay, okay. Now, let's start it again. If I didn't... If somebody didn't... If, if you didn't... If I didn't what? Lieutenant? Oh. Oh. <laughs> What is the matter, Lieutenant? He did it again. And you helped him. You rat, I'll see that you get the chair even if you didn't kill her. What did I do? You shut up. Well, what took you so long? I had to get a merry-go-round started. Um, can I drop you somewhere? Just relax for a second. I've got to think something out. Well, I didn't ever think Martin could kill anyone. Yeah. What was that? Just, uh, just a backfire. Look, uh, drive me across town. I want to talk to a guy named Leon Fisk. Leon Fisk? Yeah, runs a nightclub with an iron claw in the back room. Uh, what's the address? Uh, 222 East 45th. I remember it because when I was on the force, I used to raid his place for exercise. Um... Thinking of doing some gambling? That's the way it'll probably end up. Let's go. She drove me across town, and ten minutes later, we pulled up in front of a low building with a flight of steps leading down to a basement door. A large sign over the door read, Cellar Club. I got out and thanked June for the lift and watched her drive off. I went down the steps and through the door. Something I can do for you? Yeah, I'd like to see Leon Fisk. Maybe you don't want to see him. What's the name? Just tell him Diamond. Okay. Uh, you got a phone booth? Yeah, right over there. Thanks. I found the phone booth and went in. In my business, you work with hunches, and sometimes they pay off. I knew that the torn letter had to be sent to someone the dead girl was going to slough. I didn't think it was higher, so the next best prospect was her husband, Leon Fisk. I didn't have a thing to pin on him, but a good bluff can open a lot of doors. I took out the letter and copied the handwriting on the other piece of stationery. I wrote the name Leon at the top, and then the words, We Can't Continue, so they'd correspond with the first part of the original. Yeah? What was your writing? What's it to you? You don't have to get sore. I just thought maybe you was getting a tip on the horses, and I sure could use a winner. The nags have been beating me to death. Oh, no tip. Okay, the force will see you. That door right over there. Thanks. Well, Diamond, it's been a long time. I haven't missed you, Leon. What brings you here? Your wife was killed tonight. Sally? One's usually the lemon. That's too bad. How did it happen? I thought maybe you could tell me. I don't know anything about it. Never see this letter before? Hey. Uh, what's the matter? That's your wife's handwriting, isn't it? Yeah. It says, uh, Leon, we can't continue. Then the writing stopped. So what? The guy the police are holding got a letter from Sally, too. It started the same way, but it wasn't addressed to anyone. The top was torn off. You know what I think? No, tell me. I think she started one letter to you, then threw it away and wrote another one. I think you sent the second to Martin Haar after tearing off the name Leon. Go on, Diamond. You didn't count on her starting a second one, so you went up to her apartment and killed her with Martin's own gun. Oh, with his own gun. Uh, maybe you can tell me how I got it. Oh, oh, I think so. You had to know a lot of things before you could kill your wife. 
by the time Martin would arrive, so the time of death would be close. You had to have his gun to leave by the body, and you had to have a witness who would swear Martin killed her. It had to be time, just right. You're talking yourself into a corner. How would I get all these things? By working with someone who was close enough to Martin. Maybe like his wife. You're crazy. Am I? She just drove me to this place. So what? A lot of people know this place. She told me she didn't. So I gave her an address eight doors down, but she pulled up right in front of your door. Well, that could happen. It was too pat, Leon. Getting me to come to her place at ten minutes to eight, and knowing her husband would leave close to eight. She had to know it because that letter was delivered just before I got there. Think you can prove it? You made one mistake. I didn't hear a shot when I got to your wife's apartment. I found out later that you could hear one all the way down in the street. Your wife was killed before Martin went into that building. Probably when you saw his cab pull up. Well, anyway, it's enough to hold you on, and I think we can prove later on that you've been seeing June Hires. You're a pretty smart shamus, Damon. Oh, you mean you admit it? Okay, baby, come on in. June, come on out of there. Leon, are you crazy? Well, well, well. I didn't know you kept your back room stocked with nylons, Leon. Yeah, yeah. I guess you two don't need any introduction. Why did you have to drag me into this? You heard what Diamond said. He knows all about it. You got the car out back? Yes. But what are we going to do with him? Diamond? He's going swimming with a barrel of cement. Lieutenant Levinson wouldn't like that. He knows I came here. You're lying. Wait a minute. Maybe he isn't. Diamond was upstairs with him for quite a while. Okay, so we'll have to hurry things up. Leon, you you can't shoot him. Yeah. You should know it's not polite to point. I'm not going to knock him off here in the office. We'll take him in the car and do it later. No, Leon. What do you mean, no? It was your idea to kill your wife. I just helped get the gun. I'm not going to be along if you kill Diamond. You're going to be right with me, baby, because you're in this up to your pretty neck, and I need that car. I'm not going to do it. Oh, yes, you are. You and Diamond go swimming together. Leon! Give me that gun. You... Let, me... Let me go. Come on, drop it. You go to the devil. June, June, come back here. I'm getting out. You got me into this mess. Come back here, you... You dirty little tramp, don't you take that car! You're not going anywhere, Leon. You want to bet? I'll fix you, Diamond! He hit me with the butt of his gun, and I went down like the price of wheat in July. As I picked myself up, I watched him run for the back door. June! June, wait for me! You're not going to leave me here to take the rock! I got my gun out and stumbled over to the window and looked out just as the car started up. I spotted Leon with a gun in his hand. He looked mean enough to start shooting with it. He did. started running up the alley then. I suppose I could have said something like stop or I'll shoot, but I was too tired. I just rested my arm on the window and let him have it. Ah! Well, Walt finally showed and cleaned things up. I was bleeding again, so I headed for 975 Park Avenue and my usual first aid station. Yes? Hello, Francis. Miss Asherin? Oh, my goodness, Mr. Diamond. Come in, sir. Come in. You've been hurt again. I guess you'll have to answer the door a little quicker after this, Francis, or build a first aid station in the hall. The usual, sir? No, you can forget the plasma, Francis. I had liver for dinner. I can stand the loss. Just as you say, sir. Miss Asher is in the study. Oh, thank you. Why don't you go to bed? You look tired. Yes, Good night, sir. Boo. Oh, oh, Rick. Yeah, isn't it awful? What happened to your chin? Oh, I got it caught on the 38. Wanted to go. Want you to go? Why? Well, I thought maybe my poor little face scared you. Oh, I like your poor little mussed up face. Well, thanks, Sporty. How about some music? 
Oh, I'm too tired. Turn on the radio. All right. Now, let me look at that chin. Oh, that's soothing. Hey, oh, shut that radio off. I'm trying to sleep. Now, what is that? Oh, it's that crabby old neighbor. Oh, it is, huh? Now, Rick, don't get mad. I'll turn it off. You want something, Max? Yes, I'm sleep. Is that too much to ask? Well, stick your head in a closet. Now, look, bud. You look. That radio wouldn't wake a two-year-old. Well, just pretend I haven't stopped teething, wise guy. All I want is some sleep. Oh, you do, huh? Sleepy time, gal. You're turning night into day. Uh, Rick. Oh, that guy upsets me. All right, he upsets you. That's too pretty a song to sing like that. No. Now you do it right or I'm going to be mad. Well, honey, then that's the last thing I want you to be. Now, now, cuddle up on the sofa. You comfy? Mm-hmm. Don't be mad now, baby. Sleepy time, gal. You're turning night into day. Sleepy time, gal. You dance the evening away. Oh, that's funny. Before each silvery star fades out of sight. Please give me one little kiss. Then let us whisper goodnight. It's getting late, and baby, your pillow's waiting. Sleepy time, gal. When all your dancing is through. Sleepy time, gal. I'll find a cottage for you. You'll learn to cook and to sew. What's more, you'll love it, I know. When you're stay-at-home, play-at-home, eight o'clock, sleepy time, gal. Well, how was that, baby? Helen. Helen. Well, how do you like that? She snores, too. Hey, you! Max! Yeah, now what do you want? How about a game of gin? I'm lonesome. You have just heard Richard Diamond, Private Detective, starring Dick Powell. Helen was played by Virginia Gregg. Lieutenant Levinson by Ed Begley. Also in our cast were Wilms Herbert, Jay Novello, Joan Banks, and Stacey Harris. Music was under the direction of Frank Worth. Richard Diamond is written by Blake Edwards and directed by William P. Rousseau. Dick Powell soon will be seen in the screen version of the best-selling novel, Mrs. Mike. Now, this is Eddie King inviting you to be with us again at the same time next week when we will again bring you Dick Powell as Richard Diamond, Private Detective. This program has come to you from Hollywood. Stay tuned for our Miss Brooks next on Theater of the Mind. Time now to check into Madison High to see what madcap adventure our Miss Brooks and the gang get involved in tonight. Apparently, she's going to be the custodian of student funds. Uh Uh-oh, I can smell trouble brewing already. Palm Olive Soap, your beauty hope, and luster cream shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair bring you Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. Our Miss Brooks.
Brooks teaches English at Madison High School. And what with the overcrowded classrooms and a rather rigorous schedule, has had uh, a pretty busy time during the past semester. But not busy enough, evidently, to suit Mr. Osgood Conklin, Madison's beloved warden, a principal. (laughs) Just recently, Mr. Conklin organized a school banking system. And who do you think was selected for the honor of handling this noble project at no increase in salary? Well, it wasn't Barney Baruch. (laughs) I've had to take care of all the records single-handed. Oh, I'm not complaining. I think it's admirable for people to be saving and frugal, especially if you've got something to frug, a save. (laughs) But I didn't count on the complications that set in last week. It seems that after school Thursday, I had $25 of the student's money in an envelope, which I placed on the dresser in my room at Mrs. Davis's. I intended to deposit it Friday morning and had asked Mrs. Davis to wake me at the usual time. I was sleeping very heavily when she knocked on my door. Connie, are you in there? No, I'll be back in 15 minutes. <laughs> Come on now, Connie. You've got to get up. Oh, why? To go to school. I graduated from school a long time ago. <laughs> well, not such a long time ago. Before you do anything else, dear, I want you to see the surprise I've got for you here in this box. In this box? Go on, what? open it, honey. Oh, I don't understand, Mrs. Davis. It isn't my birthday or anything. Why, it's a dress. Oh, you shouldn't have done it, Mrs. Davis. Oh, sure, I should have. No, you shouldn't. Yes, I should. I bought it with practically found money. Found money? Yes, I found it on your dresser yesterday. (laughs) I knew that you'd left it for me to cover the back rent you owe. But frankly, Connie, I didn't expect it so soon and so... Mrs. Davis. Yes, Connie. You shouldn't have done it. But why not? Don't you like the dress, Connie? Sure, I like the dress. I love the dress. But will the district attorney care for it? (laughs) What district attorney? Well, don't you see, Mrs. Davis, that wasn't my money. I was going to deposit that for the students. And today also happens to be the day Mr. Conklin inspects my bank records. That is a coincidence, isn't it? Yeah, the happiest coincidence (laughs) since Frankenstein met the wolf man. (laughs) Look, I know you meant well, and I hate to hurt your feelings, but really... Oh, you won't hurt my feelings, Connie. I'm a lot like my sister Angela that way. She just refuses to harbor bad thoughts. That's very nice, Mrs. Davis, but from what you've told me about Angela... Sometimes she doesn't harbor any thoughts at all. (laughs) Yes, she is terribly absent-minded, poor dear. But sometimes that's for the best. What's for the best? What's for the best for who? (laughs) If you'll punch my transfer, I'd like to get off. (laughs) You see, Mrs. Davis, I've got a big problem today. That money that paid for that dress didn't belong to me. It didn't? I've already told you, Mrs. Davis, it was part of the student's savings. Oh, Connie, then you shouldn't have done it. (laughs) But I didn't do it, you did it. Ignorance of the law is no excuse. (laughs) This is terrible. Let's see that box again. Oh, you got the dress at Sherry's department store. Maybe they'll take it back and refund the money. You see, Connie, I thought you left the money for the back rent you owe. And I know you did, Mrs. Davis, and I appreciate the thought more than I can tell you. But if you'll excuse me, I've got to get ready now. Walter Denton's picking me up in a few minutes. Oh, did you have another accident with your car, Connie? Just a slight collision with a new Hudson, Mrs. Davis. What happened? Well, you know the ad they have? Hudson, the car you stepped down into? Yes. Well, this one I drove down into. (laughs) 
You know how to get to Sherry's department store, Walter. I've got to stop there for a minute. Oh, sure, Miss Brooks. I'll get you there in no time. Uh, by the way, how do you like the car today? The car? Oh, it looks fine, Walter. I polished all four fenders the other day. Well, I'm sure that'll improve the appearance of... What fenders? You haven't got any fenders on the car at all. Oh, of course not. They're home in my garage. I only put them on weekends. Weekends? Oh, sure. Even people don't dress up every day in the week. I see. No sense in hitting a sloppy pedestrian with a natty car. Exactly. You know, human beings are a lot like cars if they only stop to think about it. Uh, take yourself, for instance. The way you look this morning. I know. Stanley Steamer. <laughs> yeah, I'm only trying to be helpful, Miss Brooks. You look a little worried about something. Is there anything I can do? Nothing I can think of offhand, Walter. Just keep it under your hat. You keep what under my hat? The information you're going to worm out of me by the time we get to Sherry's. Oh. <laughs> well, what is the information? It's about the school banking system. Oh, oh, that. I know that's a big pain in the neck to you, but that's nothing to get depressed about. Gosh, did you see the papers this morning? No, I didn't get a chance. Well, you ought to read the story in the bulletin. Oh, that'd cheer you up. It's all about a woman embezzler who was caught stealing $19,000 from the Federal Trust Company. <laughs> they just gave her 10 years in the clink. <laughs> I feel better already. <laughs> well, she didn't even get a chance to spend any of the dough she embezzled. I guess honesty's the best policy after all. Wish I'd taken out a policy like that. <laughs> and right in the same paper is another story that'd make you glad just to be working at school, Miss Brooks. It's about conditions in the state reformatory for women. <laughs> no good, huh? Deplorable. Oh, they make the poor inmates mop the floors all day long. And if they haven't got any mops, which they usually don't have because they're so short of everything, why, then the women have to mop the floors with their hands. How awful. Oh, here's the store, Walter. Drive up in the back, will you? That's the quickest way to get to the basement. Basement? Certainly. That's where they keep the mops, isn't it? <laughs> Let's see now. Adjustment office. This must be it. I beg your pardon. Yeah, come I... in, come in. You're my very first adjustment today. <laughs> Sit down, won't you, Miss... Uh... Brooks, Constance Brooks. How do you do, Miss Brooks? I'm Mr. Pearson. Would you like a cigarette? No, thanks. I'm in kind a of a... A cup of coffee? No, I've got to get to school pretty quickly. Good for you. There's nothing I like better than a nice, punctual pupil. <laughs> this interview may not be as unpleasant as I anticipated. I'm not a pupil, Mr. Pearson. I'm a teacher at Madison High. But the reason I dropped in here is to return a dress someone bought for me. Well, you know the motto of Sherry's, don't you? If you're not satisfied, we cheerfully refund your money. That's what I've heard. And that's what we do. <laughs> now then, about this dress. You don't like it. Yes, I do. I like it very much. Uh, but it doesn't fit quite properly. Well, I can't be certain about that because, frankly, I didn't it's even... the color. Try... <laughs> oh, you don't like the color. I think the color is peachy. I see. And so it clashes with your complexion. You don't understand. I just can't keep the dress. I've got to get the money back. Well, that's what we're here for. In Cherries, your money is cheerfully refunded. <laughs> you should stop being cheerful and start refunding. And now then, first of all, we must have a valid basis for adjustment. Tell me, 
How did you find out that the material in this garment is inferior? Inferior? I didn't find the out. The sales that... lady told you, didn't she? Miss Morgan. Miss Morgan? So, you know her. <laughs> well, there's no sense trying to shield her, Miss Brooks. I knew there was a leak somewhere. We'll have a loyalty check in the morning. <laughs> Look, somebody bought me this dress with money that, well, it shouldn't have been spent. Why not, Miss Brooks? Don't answer that. I know. It was counterfeit money. <laughs> Young woman, I'm surprised at you. Surprised and shocked. Now, just a minute, Mr. Pearson. There was nothing wrong with the money Mrs. Davis paid for this dress. So, Mrs. Davis paid for the dress. Miss Brooks, what are you doing with Mrs. Davis's dress under your arm? <laughs> I know, I know. You couldn't afford the dress yourself, but you needed money. So when you saw it lying there on Mrs. Davis's bed, you couldn't resist the temptation. You picked it up and brought it here for a refund. Oh, you poor misguided creature. <laughs> This guy really runs the gamut. <laughs> Listen, Mr. Pearson, Mrs. Davis is my landlady. She bought me a dress for a present in this store yesterday. Well, why didn't you say so, Miss Brooks? You see, yesterday we had our final clearance sale of ladies' dresses. And, of course, in a closeout of that sort, there can never be any refund. What? But remember, anything else you buy can be returned within 60 days, and Sherry's will cheerfully <laughs> refund your money. <laughs> Well, that's just dandy. And the next time you have a sale, be sure and get in touch with me. Yeah, I'll be glad to. Where can we reach you? Just drop into any post office. You'll find my number under my picture. Sherry's department store lived up to its reputation by refunding the dress and cheerfully keeping my money. <laughs> In a way, it's a good thing I had the extra dress with me, because when we got to school, I stepped out of Walter's car and right through the hem of the dress I had on. Well, knowing I had to face Mr. Conklin, I felt pretty panicky. It's bad enough to have your spirits dragging without having your hem down there, too. <laughs> but I finally hit on a pretty good scheme. Between classes, I dropped into the domestic science room to have my old dress patched up and to try and sell the new one. Excuse me, Miss Atterbury, but I wonder if you could help me out. Oh, it's Miss Brooks. Well, come in, dear. What can I do for you? Well, I tore the hem of this dress I've got on. I'd like to get it fixed up. Well, I'll do whatever I can. Some of these sewing machines are in pretty bad shape. There's one old singer here that hasn't worked for weeks. That's too bad. Maybe you could teach him to dance. <laughs> Or sew the seam by hand. Let's see that hem now. Hmm, pretty bad rip. Take quite a while to fix it. Well, then maybe I'd better slip on this other dress till you're done. I'll just step behind this screen here and take this one off. Oh, there. You got it? Yes, I'll start stitching it up right away. Good. I'll certainly appreciate it, Miss Atterbury. Well, I've got this one on. How do you like it? Why, it's lovely, Miss Brooks. I wish I had one like it. You have, Miss Atterbury. <laughs> I've decided this dress is not my type, so you're welcome to it for $25. Only $25? That's a steal, Miss Brooks. Let's use another word, shall we? <laughs> now, if you'll excuse me, Miss Atterbury, I've got to get over to Mr. Conklin's office. All right, Miss Brooks, and I'll have your other dress all fixed when you come back. Then we'll try the new one on me. Of course, I weigh 186, but I hope I can get into it. <laughs> Just have the $25 ready. You'll get into it. <laughs> oh, one thing, Miss Atterbury. Yes? While I'm gone, try and lose a few pounds. 
Now, see here, Harriet. Just because you're my daughter doesn't give you the privilege of taking time off from your study period. As principal of this school, I must... But, Daddy, it'll only take a minute. I just want your permission to withdraw $3 from my school savings account. I've just got to have a new sweater. Harriet, it distresses me to hear you talk this way. Why, do you realize that it's invariably a craving for unnecessary finery that is the basis for most of the crimes committed by women? But, Daddy... Just this morning, there was a story in the paper about a woman being held as an embezzler. And do you know what her alibi was? She needed clothes. I tell you, it's a disgrace what this civilization is coming to. Show me a well-dressed girl who has only a moderate income, and I'll show you an embezzler. Good morning, Mr. Conklin. (laughs) Oh, good morning, Miss Brooks. I see we have on a new dress. Oh, is yours new, too? (laughs) This is sort of new. It's, uh, well, yes. Hello, Harriet. Hi, Miss Brooks. Uh, run along, Harriet. I have some important matters to discuss with Miss Brooks. All right, Daddy. We'll take my matter up later on, huh? Dismissed, girl. Yes, sir. <laughs> now then, Miss Brooks, have you brought all the student banking records with you? Well, not exactly all of them, Mr. Conklin. Uh, then how many? None of them. <laughs> you see, I wanted to double-check some of the items before you and I did the final recap, and... Uh, what I... are you trying to tell me, Miss Brooks? Oh, I'm not trying to tell you anything, Mr. Conklin. The less, the better. <laughs> you see, there's one more deposit I've got to make today before the records tally. Very well, Miss Brooks. I'll wait until lunch period. Well, have a long lunch period, Mr. Conklin. It may take me quite a while. To do what, Miss Brooks? To start a pyramid club. See you later, Mr. <laughs> Oh, you did a wonderful job on my old dress, Miss Atterbury. I suppose you try on this new one. All right, Miss Brooks. But I'm so much heavier than you, I hope I can get it on. Oh, you'll get it on easily. I have to smear you with butter. (laughs) Now, off with the old. And on with the new. Lift your arms. That's a good girl. Now, down over your shoulders. Fine. (laughs) Past your waist. Good. Now, past your... There. Oh, it fits you like a glove, Miss Atterbury. Feels like I'm standing in the pinky. (laughs) Well, close the zipper along the side. The zipper? All right. Oh, it won't move. Oh, nonsense. Take a deep breath. Now hold it. Oh, there we are. When can I breathe out? (laughs) Oh, don't be a child. You look lovely in it, Miss Atterbury. Thanks, Miss Brooks. But I can't hold my breath any longer. What happened? Nothing much. The zipper just returned to at ease. (laughs) You know, that's what I like about this dress, Miss Atterbury. It brings out the real you. God love you. (laughs) I guess we will have to alter it a little, but if you'll just give me that $25 now, I'd like to go and make... Just a minute, Miss Brooks. I don't know if I want to buy this dress right now. Here, let me take another deep breath. The latest thing, plunging neckline. You know, the fashion experts say that necklines are going further south every year. I know. Of course, this one's on its way to Mexico City. I'm sure the dress can be made to fit And I'm sure it can't, Miss Brooks. We just weren't made for each other. Help me get it off, will you? All right, Miss Atterbury, but you're overlooking a great buy. After all, breathing isn't everything. (laughs) There you are. I've got an idea. Why don't you dye the dress? Dye it? What color? Flesh color. Then you wouldn't have to worry about the zipper. No, I guess not. Oh, there's the lunch period. I've got to hurry over to Mr. Boynton's laboratory. 
Oh, did Mr. Boynton invite you to lunch, Miss Brooks? That's why I've got to hurry. He's just going to. <laughs> oh, hello, Mr. Boynton. I'm glad I caught you before you went to lunch. Hello, Miss Brooks. I'm not going to the cafeteria today. I brought a couple of sandwiches to eat right here. Would you like one of them? Oh, I don't know, Mr. Boynton. I don't like to take oh, your... Oh, go ahead, Miss Brooks. They're very good. Well, thanks. And they're only 30 cents apiece. <laughs> Here's 15. I'll just eat the bottom half. <laughs> you know, I really should be in Mr. Conklin's office right now with the school banking records, but frankly, I'm, well, I'm a little shy. Well, that's one of the reasons I like you, Miss Brooks. I don't mean bashful shy. I mean come to the station house shy. <laughs> I don't understand, Miss Brooks. Is there something wrong? Nothing serious, Mr. Boynton. Do you think you could ever love an embezzler? I never have. What's this all about, Miss Brooks? Oh, well, let's forget it. Let's live for today. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Here's another 15 cents. Give me the top of that sandwich. <laughs> are you sure everything's all right, Miss Brooks? Oh, let's not talk about it, Mr. Boynton. Tell me, why are you eating in the lab? Cutting down on expenses? Oh, sort of. I've been a little short all month. You too? Well, I'll be solvent again this afternoon. Mr. Conklin's buying a sport jacket of mine. It's one that was sent to me for Christmas, and he just insists on my selling it to him. It says he wants to wear it to the faculty masquerade ball next month. Masquerade ball? What kind of a jacket is it? Well, it's green suede. Mr. Conklin's going as Robin Hood. Oh, he's a natural. What's he giving you for it? About $25. Gee, I'm glad I dropped in today. It's good to see you, Mr. Boynton. Well, thanks, Miss Brooks. What are you going to wear to the masquerade, Mr. Boynton? I don't know. I haven't made up my mind yet. You only think you haven't made up your mind yet. Mr. Boynton, I happen to have in this box the ideal costume for you. Oh, but, Miss Brooks, I... I... Let me unwrap it for you. Hmm? Now, tell the truth, Mr. Boynton. Who always wins the grand prize at fancy dress affairs? Men who dress as women. Men who dress as women? You're so right, Mr. Boynton. <laughs> now, take your jacket off. Yeah, but I don't want... Now, that's to... a good boy. Yeah. Just slip this dress on for size. Oh, but, Miss Brooks, I'll never be able to get into if it. If Miss Atterbury could get into it, you can get into it. Now, come on, right over your head. Just straighten it out. There. Oh, I feel ridiculous, Miss Brooks. Why, it looks lovely on you, Mr. Boynton. And I'm going to let you have it very reasonably. Oh, but it's, it's so tight. Well, naturally it's tight now, but that's easily corrected. It'll fit you perfectly when you've got the proper foundation garment on. <laughs> foundation garment? Oh, excuse me, Walter, and I were just... Oh, hi, Miss Brooks. Hello, Harriet, Walter. We were... Who's your friend? <laughs> What a bill! Walter, please. It's Mr. Boynton. Mr. Boynton? I'm just trying on a masquerade costume. Oh, I see. Well, the reason we were looking for you, Miss Brooks, was to tell you that Daddy wants to go over those school savings records right away. I know he does, Harriet, but I haven't been able to make a certain deposit yet. However, as soon as I sell this dress to Mr. Boynton... Oh, I'm afraid I can't buy this, Miss Brooks. It's just not my type of costume. Oh, but Mr. Boynton... Well, wait a minute, Miss Brooks. If Mr. Boynton doesn't want the dress, maybe my mother will buy it. I know she's been saving up for one. Really, Harriet? Do you think she'd like it? Why, I think so. Would you mind modeling it for me, Mr. Boynton? Modeling it? <laughs> you know, walk up and down with your hand on your hip. Now, I had to do that once when I first joined a fraternity. Oh, this is absurd. I... Please, Mr. Boynton, just a few steps. Well... A pretty girl <laughs> is like a melody that oh, haunts 
it's me. There you are, Miss Brooks. Oh, hello, Mr. Conklin. Hi, Hi Mr. Conklin. Uh, hello, Mr. Conklin. Hello, Miss Boynton. <laughs> <laughs> now then, Miss Brooks, I have been expecting... Mr. Boynton! <laughs> I was just trying it on for size, Mr. Conklin, but... I know this is a biology laboratory, but what kind of an experiment is this? Oh, it's just the masquerade, Mr. Conklin. Mr. I don't want to hear any more about it. I presume you still haven't prepared the school uh, savings record yet? No, I haven't, Mr. Well, Conklin. I'll be tied up for the rest of the day, but bring them to my home immediately after school. And they'd better balance. Let's see now, where were we? Oh, yes. She will leave you and then come back at Now, if you'll just take this chair by the desk, Miss Brooks, we'll check these columns of figures. Oh, before you do, Mr. Conklin, there's something I'd like to explain. You see, when you add them all I'm up, I'm sure don't... I'm mentally equipped to add a column of figures, Miss Brooks. Please, Martha. Can't you see I'm trying to do some work here? Well, I just want to talk to Miss Brooks for a minute. Uh, Well, go ahead, but be quiet about it. Yes, dear. Come over here, Miss Brooks. I see you're wearing the dress, Mrs. Conklin. How do you like it? I like it fine. How much did you say it was worth? $25. Oh, good. You'll never guess where I keep my money, Miss Brooks. Not in the school savings bank, I hope. (laughs) No. It's in the sugar bowl. I'll go and get it for you, Miss Brooks. Miss Brooks, come here this instant. Yes, sir. Hurry, Mrs. Conklin. Ah, now sit down, Miss Brooks. I've added these figures very carefully. Three times. And I still get the same total. I know. There's $25 missing. You knew? That's what I was trying to explain, Mr. Conklin. You see, that was the money I didn't deposit. But why not? Well, it was used for something else. Something else? But that was a sacred trust, Miss Brooks. How could you do such a thing? Why, that's an awful... Pardon me, Osgood, but I've got to talk to you. There's $25 missing from the sugar bowl. I... 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 From the sugar bowl? Only you and I knew that money was there, Osgood. Uh, Well, you see, dear, uh, my check isn't due for two weeks, and I... uh, I want that money, Osgood. I want it now. But she see... wants the dough, Osgood, and she wants it now. <laughs> what? Oh, well, I mean, not just anyone can play in the sugar bowl. She's got to be invited by the Southern Conference. <laughs> of course, this year, the Rose Book. I'll get it. Oh, come in, Mr. Boynton. Oh, hello, Mrs. Conklin. Oh, good afternoon, Miss Brooks. Hello, Mr. Boynton. Uh, well, here's that jacket, Mr. Conklin. I must say it's a good buy for only $25. Jacket? Uh, I meant to call you about that, Boynton. I've decided against buying anything for myself. I want to surprise Mrs. Conklin with a little gift. A new dress. Surprise! <laughs> How much is this dress, my dear? $25. I just happen to have that amount on me. Here you are, my dear. Thanks. Here you are, my dear. Thanks. Here you are, my dear. Thanks. <laughs> the books are now balanced. Oh, just a minute, Mr. Conklin. Let me have 50 cents of that money. Here you are, Mrs. Conklin. But, Miss Brooks, what's the 50 cents for? Get yourself a mousetrap for the sugar bowl. (laughs) 
And now, once again, here is our Miss Brooks. Well, after the records were straightened out Friday afternoon, Mr. Conklin gave me the money and told me to be sure and deposit it the following morning. This time, I didn't leave it on my dresser. I put the $25 in an old pair of galoshes in the hall closet. I slept until almost 10 o'clock Saturday morning and was just getting out of bed when Mrs. Davis came in. Oh, I'm so glad you're up, Connie. I thought that was the cutest thing. You thought what was the cutest thing, Mrs. Davis? How you tried to give me some advance rent by slipping it into the galoshes you borrowed last week. Oh, no. You didn't take that money and buy me another dress. Of course not, Connie. I bought you a lovely leather briefcase to keep the student savings in. Well, there's only one way out. Get me a needle and thread. A needle and thread? What are you going to do? What can I do? I'll sew some sleeves on it and sell it to Mrs. Conklin. Another Our Miss Brooks show brought to you by Palm Olive Soap, Your Beauty Hope, and Luster Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns, written and directed by Al Lewis, with music by Wilbur Hatch. <laughs> For mystery liberally sprinkled with laughs, listen to Mr. and Mrs. North, the exciting, fun-packed adventures of an amateur detective and his beautiful wife. Tune in Tuesday evenings over most of these same stations. And be with us again next week at this same time for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Bob Lamont speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll be with me next week as I uncover more gems from the golden age of radio. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a wonderful weekend. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.